everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. joined today by my co-host Matt. Hey Matt. Hey Kat. Hey everyone. How are you? Exciting day with our guest Sean O'Reilly. I just love saying that name. Um, you know, what was that song? Um, you know, there's a song like that. Um, uh, do. Well, anyway. I don't know. Sean O'Reilly, there is a song, and it will come to me at some point. Um, but anyways, we don't often get to talk to uh, animation people. Right. And I find that highly interesting, um, the concept, the details, you know, how, like, all the work that goes into making um, something animated just like come to life yeah i mean to be clear uh sean is a writer and producer director and one of his um one of the things that he loves to do is like comic books and uh um you know animated movies and that sort of thing so he's very deep into all of those things he is like every facet it seems like and for this latest movie that we're going to be talking um to him about um he does one of the voices as well so uh i'm wondering if you know maybe like when we had dc glenn on remember that during the covid period and the pandemic is when he started like studying for voiceover so I would just wonder if that's a skill maybe that he picked up during that time. It's something I want to ask him about. Oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, uh, it seems like that uh, a lot of stuff, people just had to be creative during that time period because a lot of these films um, started right as the pandemic did and then because nobody knew that it was going to end up being, you know, two years, basically, of right. a, a very difficult circumstances for the film industry. So um, I, I'll be curious to see, you know, if that played a part in this particular film. Yeah, so um, what is your favorite animated movie? Well, so I'm, I mean, to be honest, I, I will say that in general, I have not been a fan of animation. Really? I mean, when I was younger, I, I watched cartoons, but, um, and I mean, then, you know, the Disney, like there used to be, was it Sunday night? Disney had that, uh, yeah. a movie nope. on or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, as an adult, like, I remember taking my son to, um, you know, to watch these, like, Power Rangers and, like, all these different... Yeah. Well, 
he would like Dragon Ball Z and things like that. And uh, I would just fall asleep, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, so, so when I woke up, but so they're not really. That's not my favorite. Let's just say that. So, However, so when when would you say that you're? I don't know if I would call it dislike, but I guess your your apathy towards animated film became. When do you, when do you think that started? Uh, I would say at, shortly after I stopped watching the Sunday Disney. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. I mean, so it would be pretty early on in life that um, you know I just lost interest in that part. So um, you didn't you didn't like Toy Story or any of like. So so I I did and I did stay awake for Toy Story and you oh know, good. It's, <laughs> it's cute with the music and the characters. <clears throat> uh, but again, it's not my favorite. And okay. I, however, I did vote. So we put a poll in our group and, you know, asked them the same kind of question. Mm-hmm. And uh, I voted for uh, what is currently in the lead of, well, let me ask you your favorite before I say uh, what is the leading one. Well, I mean... I would have to say more recently would be any of the Toy Story movies, with Toy Story 1 being the best, I think. That's the only one I saw, so that's all, <coughs> oh. that's all I could uh, comment on. Um, and then there were others like uh, The Lion King, which I really didn't see. I mean, I've seen parts of it, but wasn't a huge fan of. And then, like, you know... What were some of the other ones like uh, Pocahontas and uh, uh, Mulan? Mulan, yeah, I, I haven't seen uh, any Frank of those. Roger Rabbit, uh, not that recently, but you know. Um, yeah, yeah, that had some animation in it. Um, yeah. Oh, what about like uh, the mask? I mean, some of that was animated as well. Yes, that's that's true. Um, and cars. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's been a very popular one. Um, yeah, that's all after, like, I, you know. I would watch a, an animated movie now and then, but, like, I wouldn't go out of my way to, like, go see one or anything like that. I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of adults that love them. Mm-hmm. and But for me, like, if I had a grandchild or, you know a child um, that wanted to go then I certainly would take them but otherwise you know I'm probably not going to be the person that's in the theater watching (laughs) okay fair enough we know know you're an animation theater (laughs) no no you know I appreciate all the work that goes into it it's just um, yeah it's not for you I got it it's yeah. It, it's um, you know I had a coworker. Uh, she was an art teacher, Lois Volpenhein. If you're out there listening, and she she says that in her she was an art teacher, so maybe that's the reason. But she imagines like when she's reading, uh, everything is a cartoon um, sounding voice in her head. So. <laughs> 
she asked me, like, you know, when you're reading this, like, you know, what voice do you hear? I was like, what? But she said, like, everything she reads is, a, you know, in some type of cartoon voice. Oh, all right. So let's go back a little bit. So when you were growing up, what was your favorite cartoon? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, well, again, I would go with the non-animated ones, you know, like uh, Land of the Lost. and um, Yeah, but that, I mean, that was just live action. What, what, what about like, you know, the Jetsons or the Flintstones? Yes, I love the Jetsons so much. Yeah. You know, I actually did like Scooby-Doo too. I know a lot of people are not a fan, mm -hmm. uh, but I love Scooby-Doo and also um, Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and the Bay City Rollers, you know, Saturday morning, Bay City. Oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I know, but, you know, I love them. So, you, you can see where I was going off the rails there. Yeah, I think that's what started <laughs> it, the Bay City Rollers. Yeah, blame it on them. Yeah. However, um, the winner of the group so far, and it is the one I voted for, is the Lion King. And I'm going to say... I cried like real tears in the theater watching that. Oh. Um, yes. You know, it is, I hate to be a spoiler alert, but you know, at this point, I think probably everybody's seen it that's going to. But when the dad dies, oh, oh my mm, gosh. Like, yeah. You know, the circle and the circle of life part, you know, the music, you know, everything about that. I just love The Lion King, so. Yeah, I was more yeah. of a Toy Story fan. I probably would have voted for that. Well, you still can. Uh, the poll's still open until tonight when uh, All right. uh, we end the poll, but it's always fun to see what, what our listeners, you know, that participate in voting, um, you know what appeals to them and they can always add choices and often mm -hmm. often they do because of course you can't list every animated um, movie ever made so. right yeah. well somebody might could but you know i certainly could not so yeah yeah so uh anyways i i'm very curious to talk to sean and just see how long does it take to put, like, versus a regular movie? Um, you know, what's the time difference in that? Yeah, that'd be interesting. I'm sure that, you know, he's got to work with animators and stuff, and that uh, might be a little challenging. I don't know. We'll see. It might be better than working with people, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Well, I mean, animators are people, too. <laughs> <laughs> But they don't talk back to you. Well, well they, they could. <laughs> I hear voices. Yeah. Well, I think you're talking about the animated characters versus the people who do the animation to bring those yes. people to life. Well, I will say in this movie, like Pat Oswalt, uh, you know, he got some really good talent and... Um, so I imagine that this film is going to be great. Yes, um, what it's called the Heroes of the Golden Mask, I believe. Is that and true? also Christopher Plummer. It's it's the last um, project that he did uh, before he passed away. So uh, hmm. you know that in itself is um, quite a 
it is going to make this quite a memorable movie. So, so it's called Heroes of the Golden Masks, plural. So, um, I said mask, but it's multiple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and and um, I think like, well, we're gonna hear about how it got the title and what that signifies. I'm sure. All right. Well, let's talk to Sean and uh, find out all about it. Hey, you know what we should have done? Wow. Too late to think about it now. We should have done like an animated voice, like for this intro, <laughs> each of us. An animated voice. Hmm. Yes, you know, like. Yes, we could do it as Alvin and the Chipmunks, or something. Hello, Mark. <laughs> you are my co-host today. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll practice that and try it again another time. <laughs> All right, let's talk to Sean. Let's do it. <laughs> Sean and Raleigh, I want to welcome you to Boxery Sessions. We are really excited to have you as our guest today. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Well, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, Heroes of the Golden Mask coming out, I believe, June the 9th. That must be pretty exciting for you. Yeah, this is one of those ones. I've been working on it for about four years. So to see this thing actually get released, it's uh, exciting. It's surreal. It's a little scary, but I'm really, really enjoying it. Well, we definitely want to talk about it and also about the time frame of the four years because I know COVID and a lot of things um, happened during that time. But I'd like to know a little bit about you as well and get a little bit of your backstory. So, uh, when did you first become a fan of animation? Yeah, I mean, I think it started with, you know, a kid, obviously, is the wonderful world of color and Disney. Um, watching all the animated features as a kid, and then obviously what Pixar was doing uh, absolutely blew my mind. And I was always a comic book nerd, so I kind of came in uh, to animation from comic books. I published my first comic in 2003 under Arcana, and um, yeah, I've published about 300 books. The production process of comic books is very, very similar to animation. It's an iterative process where you, you start, you refine, you redefine, redefine again, and um, yeah, I've you know, the same way of script, pencils, inks, colors for a comic book, it's actually very similar. You have script, instead of pencils, it's storyboards. Instead of inks, you have animation. And then the coloring process is the lighting, rendering, compositing, and it's, uh, you know, fairly similar. So that, that part's been an interesting transition. So were you, like, drawing and, you know, all of that when at a young age? Or is anyone in your family artistic? Or how did, like, where does this all come from? Yeah, for me, I was always, I'm not the greatest artist, but I do love doing it. Um, I actually drew the very first issue of Cade, which looking back, yeah, I now work with artists much better than mine. But I still love the, the you know the creative process of drawing and I did as a kid lots of painting and drawing and comic books and characters I love designing characters as a kid that was so fun so where does the acting part come in 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the acting, once, for me, it's kind of, because I come from comic books, and I've always loved comic books, once you've established the character, be it Batman or Spider-Man, um, it's kind of easy and fun to get into that. Uh, I did a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons as a kid as well. And, you know, there's always role-playing in that aspect and what would your character do and how do they handle it. So for me, it was a lot of, you know, role-playing kind of like what would the character do what would they say um, it seems like that might lead you down a writing path um you know with questioning like what happens next and what's this character feeling or thinking did you explore that exactly and that's actually been probably my favorite part of all of it um i like the writing the stories and then you know the the part where I find I, I think I do the best is I can really vividly imagine the scenario when I'm writing. And then I, I, my trifecta is when I get a write, direct, and produce. Uh, it's harder to do. Right now I'm, I'm producing uh, The Order with Jude Law, Nicholas Holt, uh, Ty Sheridan. Um, but then it's you know not my vision. It's a different people's vision. But for me, like when I get a write, direct, produce, that is always my trifecta. Just like in Heroes of the Golden Mask. So when you were growing up and you come to some point um, that you're going to make a career choice, um, is this the first choice or did you have plans to be something else? Yeah, so this was not, I mean, it was funny because it was kind of a hobby gone wrong or right. I'm not sure. Um, when I graduated uh, SF, or, um, high school, I went to Simon Fraser University, majoring in physics and biology. And wow. in my third year, yeah, it was a late third-year lab in biology. Uh, Friday night, all my friends are going out to the bar or whatever, and I'm here counting fruit flies. And I absolutely <laughs> realized this is not for me. I do not enjoy this. Um, I cannot do this as a career. And so I actually switched. I became a high school teacher. I did that for years while running Arcana, kind of at the side of the desk at night. And then um, things kind of started to take off in 2015 when I released Pixies. So I wrote, direct, produced that uh, animated feature film. And um, that's kind of what started really building my career. So it's actually relatively new, to be honest. Oh, and that's a really interesting path. What was um, teaching high school like? What were you teaching? Um, chemistry or? I, yeah, funny enough, I was actually teaching film and television, uh, as well as um, uh, programming. So yeah. sliding into CGI animation was I'm not going to say simple, but you know I had a good basis of theory from film and television. I, I had a lot of computer. Uh, knowledge and expertise so the transition was you know maybe not as hard as it could have been well that's that is very interesting so i would not have guessed um you <laughs> know because like you i'm always you know with the guests thinking of you know what are they going to say about this question what path and I, I would not have guessed that to be the path that got you <laughs> very far very very cool um, thank you did you like teaching? I did, actually, to be honest with you. I, I like it a couple of reasons. I mean, obviously, dealing with the students, 
Um, I've had so many students reach out somewhat recently in the last couple of years, and they're like, oh, Mr. Riley, you know, you were one of the few teachers that actually made a difference in my life. You believed in me, and, yeah. you know, I, I love that's idealistic, and I don't know if I believed in any one student more or less than the others, uh, but what I think I did is I took a very grounded approach. Um, you know, in, in school, I was pretty clever, but I never worked all that hard. I didn't value, like I valued school, but it wasn't like it was my end-all be-all. It was just part of my life. Um, so I think having that well-rounded approach as a teacher helps. Like it's important to, you know, do well in sports. And some people do better in sports. Others do better in school. Some do better in social environments. Um, some are, you know, some don't even care. Some just enjoy to play video games, and that's totally cool too. But I think that approach was, uh, I guess, different from some other teachers. Sure, I imagine that to be the case. So, all right, let's talk about Heroes of the Golden Mask. How did that project come to be? Yeah, so uh, Jim Cameron and Brian Smith uh, are the original screenwriters. This is a Canadian-Chinese co-production. It's based on the lost city of Sanshundui. Um, a couple decades ago, um, China and the Sichuan province found uh, an ancient city that was lost, forgotten. True story. And then in the remnants, they found these masks. Also true story. Uh, where the story becomes a bit more uh, mysterious and magical is what if those masks actually had superpowers? And so the idea was there's uh, epicenters on the earth. And we don't really go into the details of this in the movie. It's kind of just, um, it's sort of the backstory. So like Machu Picchu, Chichen Itza, Songshundui, Atlantis, these are all lost cities. And so from each one of them, a hero rises. The mask chooses the hero and uh, they're bestowed with a superpower. That's kind of the setup of this. Interesting. So um, how was it that you ended up being um, a character? Yeah, so for me, I own an animation studio. here beeping in the background. So for me, I own an animation studio called Arcana. I've written, directed, produced 10 animated feature films. Uh, I met Brian and Jim. And um, yeah, I just started directing this right away. Uh, producing it, and uh, our animation studio, our Canada's animation studio, went right to work. And so for me, I uh, always like, you know, kind of being in my own movie as well. It's just a cameo, and this one on Thurman. It's Rizzo, who's played by Christopher Plummer. It's his henchman. I think I have all of 10 words in it. <laughs> um, but uh, it's always fun to kind of, you know, do those little cameos, if you will, the Stan Lee thing. I find it yeah. fun. So you mentioned Christopher Plummer. Let's talk about that because, as I understand it, this uh, was his last um, film. So that's correct. That's right. Um, what was it like working with him? And now that you look back, um, you know, knowing this is the last piece of work, do you feel like um, that he would be proud that this was the, the final thing that he did? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, what was so cool is I mentioned Pixies, and so the hardest part sometimes is casting. Uh, the agents and, and the actors, everyone has to have a lot of faith in the production. 
because they're putting their name out there. Uh, they're working on their very professional craft and, and, and working on that. So Christopher Plummer, I got to meet him. He was mine, forever will be, my Pixie King. Um, I, I cast him in, in Pixies. We had a good time, super fun time. Uh, he was on all three Howard Lovecraft movies. Uh, and so I actually got to direct him about five or six times. And then uh, on this one, he, and the one thing about him, super professional, always showed up in like an animation. Obviously, you don't have to have your lines memorized, but he pretty much did. And so he shows up. He's like, Sean, for this one, I know you like natural voice, but I want to try something different. And so I did the voice for Rizzo. And <laughs> immediately I loved it. And I'm like, oh, yes, please. Thank you. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. And, and I think he had a lot of fun doing that voice. And um, I had a lot of fun working with him. An amazing man, I tell you. Well, as you mentioned, too, you, you did have um, like a very um, powerful cast there. Um, how did you know, um, like Patton Oswald? how did you know um, that he was going to be a, a great match for that character? I mean, for, you know, Tyler plays the role of Aesop from the city of Atlantis and just watching Ratatouille, watching everything he's done on the Goldbergs and, and you know, his funny stint in, in community and everything he's done, like what a career. Um, obviously, I had amazing respect for him well before this. And uh, he's, I knew his um, agent just from working on other projects. And so I kind of pitched his agent. They're like, let us show Patton. And I, he responded to it. Uh, it was actually, it was during COVID, he was actually able to record it out of his home. I guess due to Goldberg's, he has a voice recording studio in his home. And so we were able to record it. And uh, I tell you, that was so cool because he's so smart, so fast. And he was able to ad-lib a whole bunch of things that just, brought the character to life and really honestly overall improved improved what we do like you know from the writing point of view so I always love when actors just like Christopher Plummer and just like Pat Oswalt can bring their own flavor to it right like you don't always want to just read the words that we've given you it's like what what do you like about it what's exciting for you yeah and I definitely like just in the trailer like if I wasn't even looking at it uh, to know like the names of who was in it uh, he just has one of those voices that uh, you can pick out it's uh, very distinct and I, I thought it was a great match for that um, character Thank at least you. in the trailer so uh, you mentioned like you know COVID um, working so this is four years that this took um, and I imagine like one of the things you just said was a positive in that, you know, you maybe could get more um, people um, willing to work because they were, you know, quarantining at home, basically, like the world was doing. So, um, but what's the other side of trying to do a project during a pandemic? Yeah, I mean, the hard Part, I think, for me um, was kind of the initial setup and shot, same with the rest of the world. So I, b I believe everything kind of shut down March 13th, 2020. Uh, we were all, most of our assets were built, we're animating. 
and then everyone's, you know, working from home. For our asset team and for our lighting rendering compositing team, it'll kind of work as normal because they're able to use remote desktop and just log in and actually, like a ghost, virtually work as if they were at the studio. For the animators, there's a little bit of lag, not much, and you didn't notice it in assets, but when you're animating, it made the lip sync off. And we were lucky to find out very quickly that the lip sync was off, thanks to our animation directors, Sean Coughlin and Skylar Zur. And so what we did as a solution is we came into the studio, unplugged the computers, and dropped them off at the animators' houses. And so that quickly got the lip sync back up and then syncing. And um, wow. yeah, it was weird because we're so used to working in a studio as a collaborative team. And this time now we were siloed and everyone was scared and reading the news and watching the numbers. But at least there's some solace and, you know, our creative work was able to continue. And, and we had people we could relate to and talk with. And yeah, looking back, this project will always remind me part of it as, you know, the trials that we overcame on, um, on during COVID. How were you thinking like, this is never going to end and this project is never going to be able to you know be seen or were you always hopeful yeah i i think you know because this is my uh you know i think 10th project i believe i I knew it would see the light of day i knew we would finish it was just not (laughs) the normal process of how we delivered a film or how i produced or directed it was just it's just very different, to be honest with you. And looking back, I, I think it's great. I'm, I'm happy everything worked out the way it did. Um, but I never lost faith, and I knew we had a great team. And it was just a little harder to kind of manage than normal. Sure. Uh, Matt, what are you thinking of all this? <laughs> uh, it's an interesting story. Um, I was curious whether you were a comic book collector when you were a kid. Still am. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like, you know, comic. So I, I, I one of my favorite comics I have in my collection is Giant Size X Men number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time we kind of see the team together or X Men ninety four. Uh, but the Giant Size X Men number one is probably one of my pinnacles, and I think I have about four hundred, five hundred, maybe more. Actually, now they say it out loud, might be might be a thousand comics in bag. Actually, now they say out loud, I'm thinking a lot more. I have 300 graphic novels I've published in Arcana. So each long box, if I recall, you sold 300. <laughs> I probably have about six long boxes. So I think 1,800 comics, 2,000 comics. Wow. I have every X-Men from like 100 to about 320, uh, about 220 X-Men. And I have all the Marvel team-ups, which I love. It was usually Spider-Man or Thing plus someone else. I love Marvel team-up. Yeah. All the Transformers. Uh, X-Factor. I had all the X-Bucks. So I was one of those X-Nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, so New Mutants. I have the first appearance of Deadpool. X-Factor. X-Men. Uncanny X-Men. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of collected all those. And then all the crossover events. Inferno. Um, Atlantis Attacks. The Evolutionary War, which we just saw in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 a little bit. But yeah, long story short, collected all the comics. Um, you know, acid-free backboards, bags kept them in a cool dark place <laughs> uh, so that's kind of how i started the comic books yeah my, my i have a older brother who's big into comics as well and he 
collects all the same ones that you do. He's got probably, I don't know, well, I think he used to have like 20 of those long boxes that were just stuffed full. Wow. And he would go, you know, almost every week to the comic book store just to see what was new. But, um, that's cool. So, um, when you were teaching, did you use, uh, like comic books and that sort of thing in your teaching? A little bit, actually. So, I mean, there was an assignment in English, uh, I did where you had to create your own comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always liked, like, I'm a visual learner. So, anytime I could use some sort of prompt or visual material for my students, I would try to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, image, like infographics, I had them create that. Uh, I taught a lot of kids how to use Photoshop, uh, InDesign, um, Adobe Premiere. I love the Adobe Suite. Mm-hmm. And then teaching in the school district, we had access to the full suite. Uh, it wasn't free, but boy, it was very cheap. <laughs> um, what? So what's the longest uh, part of doing an animated movie? I mean, is it the animation itself or is it like some other aspect of it? Oh, let me tell you all of it. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Assets take a while. So Zoo uh, is one of our characters. Mm -hmm. And so he's, his superpower is able to turn into any of the 12 animals of the Chinese Zodiac. And so you had to model 13 characters, the 12 animals, as well as the human form. Uh, so him alone, him alone took months and months and months just to build. Hmm. Um, you know, it was a very cool idea creatively. And once we got to production, it's like, oh boy, that's a, that's a big commitment, which we did. And I'm very <laughs> thankful I did. And they look amazing. Um, but assets I find are not usually the hardest. Animation, once you get your team up and going, you can kind of skip a rope. For me, it's the uh, lighting. Lighting is not even that bad. It's the rendering that's usually the hard part. We call it LRC, lighting, rendering, compositing. Right. Because in rendering, you know, that's where you find out all the errors. Yeah. Uh, if anything didn't work in modeling, sometimes animation, sometimes assets, like whatever it is, a lot of the errors start to come out in rendering. And the render times, you can get anywhere from 10 minutes up to like, I've seen 10 hours for a yeah. single frame. And then in an animated movie, there's approximately 120,000 frames. So you can imagine, like, you know, anywhere from, let's call it, even just one to four hours for a frame. That's relatively normal-ish. Then you have multiple passes. Like, you you can increase your render time exponentially if you do it wrong or, or inversely. You can decrease it exponentially if you do it right and you optimize it. So for me, it's the, the bottleneck's usually probably rendering, because that's where you see everything start to come together. What's the most frustrating part for you? Also rendering, I would say. Just because it takes the longest. Yeah, just waiting for that final product to come out to see, oh crap, that's not Exactly, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. All right, Kat, what else you got? So um, I'm curious, like, when you finally get everything together and you see the finished product for the first time, you know, how, how did that feel? It is so good. I have to tell you now it's, uh, it's actually a double-edged sword. So first of all, it feels so good. Second of all, you've probably seen the movie a thousand times. So 
you know, as I'm watching it, it's really hard to kind of just view the story because I'll watch a, a scene or a shot and I'm reminded of that time during production where something happened. Right. And so you're continually going in and it's like, oh my God, that's that shot. We redid this shot four or five times. This is the best version of it, but man, I, like that was hard. And this is what you're thinking of while you're watching a movie and it already jumps onto the next scene. So I find it kind of weird. I do like it, but it's hard to kind of, I don't know, maybe I should have a drink or two and just turn off the brain <laughs> and enjoy it <laughs> because there's so much thought you just think of. It's like looking at a photo, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can admire the photo, but you remember that birthday party you're at and how your little brother threw up in the corner or whatever it was. <laughs> not in the photo, but you remember the event more than the actual image, you know what I'm saying? Right. Well, another thing I was curious about, so um, with directing and, you know, you have animated characters, but do they start to feel human um, or you have like do they come to life in some way like if you were directing humans for sure I mean and for me it, it, that's the character part of it so actually I'm, I'm writing directing producing another one called right now called Ultra Duck and so it's funny enough where it's an anthropomorphic world and it's exactly what it sounds it's a super powered duck and so we're, we're, we're playing with how much animal is in there versus how much human and we're really really downplaying like kind of like mickey mouse sure he's a mouse but we've never seen him to my knowledge eat cheese uh he seems to like <laughs> hot dogs or the cheese and goofy I, I, we think he's a dog is goofy a dog but at the same time pluto's clearly a dog and goofy's also a dog so is goofy up the uh evolutionary chain a little bit higher than pluto or how does that work so we're kind of playing with those things in Ultra Duck right now. Um, but yeah, you do think of those things. And the nice part with animation, you have the time to think. Uh, I've also directed live action, a movie called Corrective Measures. And I find as live action director, you're just, you're responding. It's kind of like being a quarterback and you go in there with a, a play and you know the play you want to do. But next thing, you have a defensive lineman in your face, and you're kind of like improvising a lot more than what mm. when you started. And to me, that's kind of live action. For animation, you kind of get to go back to your playbook because it's just slower. And do you have a preference, or are you just like both of them for different reasons? I do like both. I mean, animation, like four years. I mean, at the end of the day, it's an 80-minute movie. It doesn't quite work out this way, but that's 20 minutes a year. <laughs> and so there's 52 weeks in a year. You're talking, you're watching less than 30 seconds a week. <laughs> and, and it's like, it's mind-numbingly slow. And so what I'm able to do is uh, do live action on the side as well, which is completely different. You never have enough time. You always wish you had a couple more days on set or longer days or whatever. And so it's a very different experience i'll tell you they're two very different kind of beasts to grapple with well since you were a teacher um you know what advice do you have or did you have if you had students that were uh, interested in being filmmakers or actors 
I, my best thing I've always said is just do it. Like, it's always like there's always an excuse not to do it. Um, oh, I don't have the right equipment. Uh, and especially as a writer, like it's like, well, oh, I don't have final drafts, right? I don't have this, so I just need this. I mean, you know, my and, and I, I even have to take my own advice. I had a meeting earlier today, and I had like a bit of an epiphany, like Jesus, I really do just need to do it. Um, I've been struggling a little bit to get my next one, my next live action one up um, after corrective measures. And it's called American Wasteland. And I've been having casting issues and this and that. I've been very patient. But I think today mentally I just pulled the trigger and I'm just going to, you got to make it happen. Like it's just, it's rare when things will ever happen for you. I really do believe you have to produce, you have to make it, you have to actually do the work and, once you do it, you know, things start to fall into place. So advice I have, long story short, push, 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 and just make it happen. Just do what you want to do because you'll love doing it. And, you know, that's how you'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. So, so if you so don't the, have final drafts, you just do what? Just start writing in a notebook or on a napkin? Well, or, there's, there's a beautiful program online called Celtics, C-E-L-T-X dot com. It's free. Um, it's very, very similar to Final Draft. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's everything you need there. And, you know, once you have Final Draft, then as a director, you can start planning out your shots. And now there's like, oh, boy, now there's chat GPT that's writing for people. Um, right. You can create, an, yeah, you can create an EDL in um, chat GPT, which I couldn't even believe. I actually tried it the other day. Um, it's an edit decision list or basically a shot list. And so you can take a screenplay in, they make an EDL of this screenplay. And it's like, holy crow, it's getting kind of freaky. <laughs> that was gonna, so I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask, like, what's your thoughts on, you know, there's so much AI and now, like, you, you can have, you know, that to write things for you. Um, and people are, I guess, having assignments and things like that turned in that they didn't write because this, you know, writes it for you. So what, you know, what are your thoughts about that? Is it going to write you out of a job or what? I don't think so. I mean, this is a big reason I think the Writers Guild of America are currently on strike. Um, right. You know, studios might want to use AI. Uh, WGA has said uh, they want their users, they're allowed to use AI as long as they're paid and credited accordingly. Um, and then from a teaching point of view, I mean, I think pedagogically speaking, you have to ask different questions. Uh, maybe like there's the Pratu principle where like, you know, whatever number, 95% of the realtor, or sorry, 5% of the realtors make 95% of the money. Um, so that that is the principle, but maybe the, the question needs to be asked in your personal life. How have you ever used the practical principle? Um, as an example, like if you're a teacher, right? Like you're going to have to start implementing these things into the person's life. And, and you know, from a writing point of view, it's, it's going to be more intimate. How are you writing differently? And what's your voice? And yeah, it'll be an interesting time. And I, I don't know if anyone has the answer for AI, but uh, the next three to five years, feels like three to five months but <laughs> these things are, are being answered and settled accordingly so interesting times yeah 
Matt, did you have something else? Uh, yeah, I was just wondering if you've ever thought of doing a, like, um, you know, Saturday morning cartoons. Would you ever consider doing something like that? Yeah, for sure. The closest we have right now is My Brother the Monster. Uh-huh. So we're just wrapping up production. It is 26 episodes, 11 minutes each of 2D animation. And so I actually wrote all 26 episodes. I directed 13 of them. And Arcana co-produced them with Gasolina from Mexico. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm pretty proud of that. All right. So come June the 9th, where can uh, we watch Heroes of the Golden Mask? Yeah, so it's a limited theatrical release, and it's available right now on sale on iTunes. Awesome. Well, I would highly suggest everyone to get onto iTunes and purchase that. So you told us a little bit about some of your upcoming things. What else you got going on? Anything? Uh, in yeah, the... the big one, I think I've almost mentioned them all. I have Go Fish Plus mm-hmm. animated uh, series based on our Go Fish movie. Uh, there's American Wasteland, which is in uh, almost pre-production. Uh Ultra Duck, which we are halfway through animation, and then My Brother the Monster. Those are the the four we have in production, as well as The Order with AGC and Amazon. Um, Yeah, so things are busy, and and I'm very happy, so very blessed. Happy to be here. Thank you. Any uh, uh, project that you have, like, that's floating around in your brain that you just haven't been able to do yet, but you're thinking, like, oh, man, I got to get that done soon. Anything like that? Cade. That for sure is Cade. That was the very first comic I published uh, way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, every time I, I ever go back, that will be that will be one of my swan songs, I believe. <laughs> that will be like, <laughs> I have to get it done when, I don't know, but that is something. Yeah. Hmm. Right. yeah. Well, I hope you'll come back and talk with us when you do get to that. 100%. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think we'll uh, let you go, and uh, we thank you for coming by. We really appreciate it, um, and we look forward to checking out some of your work. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Sean. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to cat at iwriteplays at outlook.com, or you can write to me at backstorysessions at gmail.com, or matt at level11ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you.